We start this, uh, this Sunday, we start our Easter uh, series, the title of which I've taken from the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says that true love, love that has its source in God, never gives up. Never stops, keeps trying, even in the most difficult of circumstances. This love just doesn't quit. Everyone on the planet, everyone on the planet is on a journey. Each person is at a different place in that journey, and we, we are created. We're all created with a hole in our heart that can only be filled, can only be satisfied with relationship. At creation, God says, listen, I have created man, I, I have created people in such a way that they crave connection, crave relationship. They need that connection. They cannot do well. They cannot thrive. If they're on their own, we are made to be connected to one another. Specifically, primarily, we need to be connected to God. As long as God is left out of the equation, people will walk away and walk around, no matter how successful they are, with this, this thought in their life, there's something missing. I can't put a finger on it. I don't know what it is, but something's missing. Our, our series has two purposes. And the first is for those who are in search mode right now. Still trying to understand who God is and why they keep bumping into him, even when they seem to think that they're not looking for him. And the second is for, for those who know him, who love him, who serve him, and are trying to help those that they love come to that same discovery that they have had. I, I've asked that we as a church, from the beginning of Lent through to Easter Sunday, would find ourselves reading through, reading again and again the Gospel of John. Read it as much, read it as often as you can. I want us to be immersed in the story of Jesus. I want us to pick up his, his thinking thoughts, the, the way he sees the world. I, I, I want us to pick up who he is. We, we think we know a lot about him, but that's not the same as knowing him. There, there are moments in my reading, even this, this season in John, that I've been caught by surprise thinking, wow, Jesus, I never saw you in that way before. I, I, I never understood it from that perspective. I chose the Gospel of John because I love and I appreciate John. He's passionate. He, he's expressive and responsive, and he's an exuberant follower of Jesus. He's the youngest man of the 12 men called the apostles, and uh, Jesus calls him to follow him, and there's something so attractive, something so compelling about him. He's referred to as the beloved or the one loved by Jesus. In, in the reading of John and the reading of the other Gospels, when, when they give the picture of who's where, John is always right close to Jesus. He's a man who has some pretty strong emotions. In fact, John and his brother James were called by the nickname Sons of Thunder. And uh, 
The nickname is given to them by Jesus and is the result of an incident that happened during the travel that the team was taking through Samaria. And they get to a little town and, and James and John didn't think that the, the welcome that they were afforded was very good or very warm. And so they turned to Jesus and said, can you do something about this? Can you call fire down from heaven and burn the place to the ground? And Jesus says, oy vey, these are the sons of thunder. He's a passionate man. They, he's a man who were in touch, a man who was in touch with his emotions. And so John, in his senior years, sits down to write the biography, a retelling of the experiences, the words, the life of Jesus. And he tells his readers the purpose of his biography. He says, I, John. Retell this story as a first-hand witness so that when you read the truth, you will respond. When you read the truth, you will believe. Now, now John isn't just talking about mental assent. Yes, I, I guess that could be true. Yes, I, may, maybe I could believe that. He's talking about a deep, life-changing, history-altering experience that's going to alter the way that you see the world, the way that you live your life. I'm writing this so that you will embrace the truth of who Jesus is and that you might be convinced in the telling of the story to experience the love that's woven into the story of Jesus. Jesus personally and that it'll change you. I'm writing for experience sake. So in these four Sundays and on Good Friday, we'll be going to John to have him tell us the story in, in such a way that, that we might be helped along in our journey of discovery, able to understand and be helped in our, our work with people that we want to see come to relationship with Jesus. So this morning, we're going to the front of the book, John chapter 2 and 3, and we're going to cover one of the, the encounters that Jesus has with a, with a seeker of truth. Jesus had become renowned for the miracles that were flowing out of his life and ministry. And, and people who had been sick were, were being brought back to full health and strength. People who had lived in dark and depressing situations all of a sudden were seeing light and hope for the very first time. And, and it was an exciting, dynamic story. And, and it had caught the attention of, of, the, of the nation. And there were a lot of people jumping onto the Jesus bandwagon. And so when he was headed towards Jerusalem for the Passover celebrations, there was, there was a lot of interest. There, there, there were lots of people talking, and there was an excitement over this one that they called Jesus. There, there were crowds of people following him everywhere. And because he was the hot topic of the day, many were saying that he was their new favorite person. There were some teens who were putting his picture on a poster up in, his, in their bedroom. And, 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 and there were people who, who were pretty excited and, and saying that they believed and that he was the answer to what the nation needed right now. That's what they were saying, but Jesus wasn't one that was very interested or invested in what people were saying. He wasn't constantly checking his Instagram account for how many likes his latest post had got. And he, he wasn't broadcasting how many people were his Facebook friends or, or watching to see if he was trending on Twitter. He, he, he didn't trust the depth of commitment that he was seeing because he understood human nature. 
He, he knew that people are fickle, and just because you're big and you're important today in the eyes of the public doesn't mean that tomorrow they'll even remember who you are. How many of you, if I sent you home right now, could put your hands on your fidget spinner? How, how, how many of you know where your Pokemon cards are? Or where your Rihanna Fenty Beauty lipstick is right now? All of that is so last year. We're on to what's hot and what's new right now, not, not last year or, or years gone by. John says that Jesus didn't need to be told about human nature. He knew what was in each person's heart. It, it, it's important that you hear that. He knew which, what was in each person's heart. If, if you're on a journey, Jesus knows your story already. He knows the events that have shaken your ability to believe, to trust. He, he knows your capability to be cynical and suspicious. You don't have to pretend that you're more interested than you are. You don't have to learn the lingo or the traditional responses. You, you, you can come just like you are, doubting, impatient, unconvinced, and he's, in, and he's willing to be committed to walk out the process that it will take to get you to a place of experiencing the truth of who he is and what he does so that you can experience his love and you can believe. He knows your heart. There's nothing in there that surprises him. There's nothing in there that disappoints him. For you who are walking alongside people, walking beside your person, understand that it is always a process. It's always a process. There, there's nothing more off-putting than somebody coming up to a complete stranger and saying, repent, turn, or burn. Be, be, what? They're not understanding the process. It's a number of steps. It's a series of encounters. It's a wrestling with what is and what is not true. We hope for, we think that our loved ones need to have a Damascus Road encounter and, and that there's a, a one and done story because we need to understand that even in Saul's life, it wasn't what happened only on the road to Damascus. The, the work started long before that when he stood at, at Stephen's martyrdom and watched. There were seeds sown in his heart at that point in time. There's always a process. So one of those people in process during, during this time was a man named Nicodemus. I don't know any Nicodemuses right now, so we're going to call him Nick. And uh, he was both a religious scholar and a political leader of his time. He re represented what was the best in people, the, the biggest in promise of the nation. And Nick goes at night, goes to meet with Jesus alone and privately. And that's how searches often begin. They they begin with questions on the inside, questions that nobody else on the outside hears or knows about or understands. 
people start with questions. They, they've stood back, they've watched, they've listened, they've thought, and they've developed questions. And so privately, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, he, he, he's, he's a bit uncomfortable. Rabbi, um, ma- master teacher, I, I really don't even know how to address you because I, I haven't got you figured out yet. And so I'm going to go with polite. I'm going to go with appropriate. I'm going to call you expert teacher. Expert teacher, I, I can see by watching you that you have a connection with God. And I know that because there are things that you wouldn't be able to do. There are miraculous signs that you're, prepared, you're doing all the time that you couldn't do if you weren't connected with God. It's a, it's a sign for us that you have been sent by God. And, and we know that God has sent you and that he has given you a message because of the miracles. The evidence is in front of me and the evidence says that there is something to you and something to your message. I have seen things that cannot be explained away. Church, I'm convinced that if the gospel, if the church is going to make any headway in changing the culture, there are two things that need to move in front of preaching. And the teaching that's done so well and has been done for so long. These two things are, we must demonstrate the power of God. We... we, We can't just talk. There has to be something shown of God's power in our lives and in our message. And we must be able to embody the love of God. Both of those things are more important than preaching. There have been times in my lifespan that had I stood here and made such a statement, they would have branded me a heretic. However, everyone I know needs a miracle in life. Everyone I know. And everyone I know longs to belong, longs to be loved, longs to be connected to kindness and to family. I don't know of an exception to those. Nick says, I I know that you're here and and that you are the real thing because I see the miracles. I, I see that God is with you. Only God can give that ability. Everyone needs a miracle and everybody wants to belong. Everyone, no matter what they say, no matter how they act, they 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 need those two things. So Nick says, if you if you're sent by God. He has sent you with a purpose, and he has sent you with a message, and I'm here to hear what it is that God wants you to say to me, wants you to say to my generation. I I have questions. I'm hoping that you have answers. And Jesus says, I do have an important message. I do have something to say to you and to your generation It's a radical departure, Nick, from from what you've heard and what you've learned and what you've believed to this moment. This this is a message from God. This is God's truth to you. Nick, you need to be born again. 
born from above. Nick, it's not an option. If you want to be part of what God is doing, if you want to be part of the kingdom where God is king, this is the requirement. You have to be born again or born from above. Nick gets this very confused look on his face and he says, I, I, I don't get it. How, how does a man do that? I'm full grown. I'm a long way away from my birth date. How does a man, an old man, go back into his mother's womb to be born again? What does that mean? What does that look like? The metaphor that you're using doesn't process in my brain. Help me to understand what you're saying to me. I, I don't get it. To go places that we've never gone before requires that we think thoughts, see and understand things that we've never seen or understood before. If if we walk away when we don't understand, we never get that relationship hole filled in our gut. We, We pursue... We, we fight our way through the questions, through the mysteries, through the doubts. We keep questioning. We keep hanging on. We keep going. We just don't give up. Jesus pulls it together for him and says, Nick, you've, you've heard, you've, you've seen, you've, you've watched John the Baptist out in the wilderness, and he's calling his generation to, to repent and to turn from the direction that they're heading right now. And he's calling your generation to awaken to the fact that you don't have all the answers to the questions that you're asking. There is something bigger than you are understanding can grasp at play. John the baptizer has, has told you that you will never figure it out apart from God, that you have to turn from God, that you have to acknowledge that you need God's help, that it's not a way to get to God, but it is the way to get to God. The, the second part of this, Nick, is the involvement of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's involved in your process, in, in the direction of your journey. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be asking these questions. You wouldn't be in front of me looking for answers. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, you you wouldn't be hungry for truth. Nick, no one comes to the Father except the Holy Spirit challenges them, makes them hungry, pulls them close in. Often I'll meet newcomers to our church and I'll stand and I'll chat with them and and say how did you get here why are you here this Sunday and often the answer quite often the answer goes something like this you know I, I don't know I, I was riding the C train like I do every day five days a week And one day this week, I looked up and I saw this building. I saw this church. And I knew that I had to come and find out what you're all about. 
I didn't think I wanted to come. I didn't think I needed to come. But for some reason, I'm here. And that's Holy Spirit. That's part of the process. That's Holy Spirit pulling them in. And Holy Spirit's at work in everyone on the planet. Most people don't recognize him, but they're, they're conscious of the pull. They're conscious that there's questions that are being asked. They're conscious of the hunger, of the hole in their life, because Holy Spirit is at work. And, and Nick was responding in a positive way by, by looking for the answers to the questions that were raised and, and, and going to find Jesus. Now, that's not always the way. I've known people who've responded in a very negative, very violent way to the work of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't negate the fact that God is at work by His Holy Spirit in every life from the time they're born until they breathe their last breath. So two forces at work. An understanding, a, a, a search that says there must be more than what I have known or what I have right now. And the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life bringing you to an encounter with Jesus. You see, human birth, Jesus says, is the reproduction of human life on a human level. But only Holy Spirit can, can bring you through to a rich spiritual life. Born again from above. Nick's getting closer, but still, <laughs> he's not got it all in place. There are still questions that he has. And the patience of God is so amazing to me. I, I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll get working on a, on a project, and there's the, the, the pressure of a timeline, and someone walks into my office, walks into my world with not just a question, but dozens of questions. And they're important to that person, but right now, they're not so important to me. And I can feel the insides of me just starting to vibrate and think, would you please go away? I've got stuff to do. Patience is a hard thing to come to at that moment. But, but Jesus is so patient. Nick is a religious scholar. He has much of the Old Testament committed to memory. He, he has... He has studied what people have said and what people have thought and what people have written about the scriptures. He, he has studied and studied and studied, but somehow, someway, it's not come alive in him. He, he has something of a, a primary understanding in his head, but there's nothing living, nothing exploding in him. It hasn't spoken to them or spoken to where he's at and to what he's facing right now, but it will very soon. That is why it's so important and so vital to come to this Easter season with the understanding that love never gives up. Don't get frustrated over the lack of evidence in your person's life. Don't... don't walk away because it's not going the way you thought or the way that you thought it should go. 
Love doesn't quit because it doesn't seem like it's getting anywhere. Love trusts God. Love trusts that the Holy Spirit is at work, that Jesus, who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life, that he, he doesn't give up. He's, he's pursuing them. It can't be our nature to quit on anyone. Nick says, Jesus, I've, I've studied, I'm an expert in Scripture, but I have never seen, never understood, never recognized what you're saying to me right now. How are these things possible? I thought that because I was a descendant of Abraham, I thought that because I knew the laws of Moses, memorized them and attempt to live them out in my life, and that I was living a good life, that I was good with God. No one has ever told me that there's more. No one has ever expressed that there are two forces at work in my life. How, how is it that I don't know these things? How is it that I'm a, a good, decent, upstanding citizen with good Jewish roots and I don't know God? How can that be? It can be really painful for me, for you, for anyone when reality meets up with truth. When, when we think that it's enough just being a good person, doing what we know and doing it to the best of our ability, and suddenly it's revealed to us that that's not enough. It can feel like a betrayal when we discover that the, the people who said that we can pick and we can choose what we believe and it'll all turn out fine, that there are many ways to get to God and if you don't like the Jesus path, then take another path that suits your unique personality, your unique history. It hurts when we come to the realization through direct encounter with Jesus that not everything we've been told is true. It's, it's a slap in the face. Nick is at that place right now. How is it possible that I don't know these things? And Nick says, or Nick, Jesus says, I, I know your world. I, I know that you hold a place of respect and authority and that you carry great responsibility. I know the process that's brought you to this moment. And I totally understand what it is that makes this such a difficult decision for you. Nick, you, you started out by, by telling me that because of what you've seen in my life and, my, and in my work, you know that I come from God. You, you know that. So if your world doesn't match up with God's world, which world do you think has to make an alteration to fit? If you know that I come from God who knows everything, what makes this jump so big, so difficult, so challenging for you? Nick, we, we're at the starting point of an understanding. And if you get caught, if you get stuck on this, how to make the leap from what you've known to what is true, then everything else is going to be hard and difficult and impossible for you. Here's the sticking point, Nick. This, this journey that I'm inviting you on with God is not solely an intellectual one. 
You can't make a decision on what you can prove, what you can see, and what you can understand. This this journey is a faith, a, a, a trust journey. Nick, there is no one who's ever gone to heaven and returned. No one who, who has come back from the dead to corroborate the story that I tell you. But by your own words, you said that you knew that I was from God, that I was empowered by God, so that what you are going to do, what are you going to do with what I've told you? If you know that I'm from God, if you know that I have a message for God, are you, gonna, are you going to push yourself away just because you don't understand? And then Jesus pulls a story that Nick would have been very familiar with. It's a, it's a story out of, out of Moses' journey, a, a story that Nick would have known so well. In Israel's journey, through the wilderness, there was a point where the people became impatient. They became snarly and, and started to speak evil about the goodness of God and about the wisdom of Moses. They started to grumble amongst themselves and finally they got themselves worked into such a, an unholy sweat that they were standing at Moses' door and said, you don't know what you're doing. You and God have brought us out here without a plan and without food and without drink, and now we're going to die. Slavery was bad, but this is even worse. You give us fresh bread every morning, but we want you to know we're sick of that stuff. We're repulsed by it. It tastes awful in our mouths. And so we're so mad, we're so tired that we're not going to listen to either God or you, Moses, any longer. So God said to the people, you don't want my help, you don't want my protection, I'll honor your request. I, I will lift my hand off your camp. And when he did, something supernatural happened. When he lifted his hands off the camp, the snakes that lived in the wilderness came into the camp, filled the camp, and unholy havoc prevailed. In our house yesterday, I was standing at the kitchen counter and I heard Debbie take a sharp breath in and say, and I thought, oh, what's going on? And she said, there's a spider that went under the couch. I can't tell you. Well, I can tell you our house wouldn't be standing if there were snakes going through our house. People were bitten. People died. People lived in a constant state of sickness because of the venom of the snakes and, and because of the fear and the turmoil. And eventually the, the rebellion didn't make sense anymore. And so the people backed away from it and they said to God, we're sorry. And they said to Moses, we were foolish. Please forgive us and, and get us out of this mess. And Moses goes to God, and, and God to find out how he can solve this horrendous snake problem. And God says to Moses, get a, get a, a snake, fashion a, a replica of a snake and, and put it on a stick and lift it up and carry it through the camp. 
And, and everyone who looks at the, re- the replica of the snake will be saved from the poisonous venom and, and they will live. So out of bronze, Moses gets a snake made, a, 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 a replica, and, and he puts it, he attaches it to the pole, and, and he has it carried through the, through the camp. And everyone who was sick with venomous bites would would or could choose to look to that solution that God had prepared. And they, if they chose to look, they would be healed and they would, they would live. And, and Nick says to Jesus, I, I know that story. I, I'm familiar with that story. I, I know that that's part of our history, that that's what happened in the day of Moses. And, and Jesus says, well, Nick... In this day, in, in your generation, there's a death that's caused by the rebellion of people. And, and, and God has ordained that in this time, that the Son of Man, the, the man that was sent by God, will be lifted up on a pole. And everyone who chooses to look at him, everyone who believes in him, will be saved from the venom of their sin. And they, they will be given eternal life. And he, of course, is pointing to his own death on the cross. Still, Nick doesn't get it. It's a little less blurry, but who is this man sent by God? And, and what does it mean that he'll be lifted up on a tree? I, I know that it's part of Isaiah's prophecy. I've read that. I've studied it. But what does it look like? Who is it? The problem was that Nick and his generation didn't understand the nature of God. Didn't understand the loving heart of God. They, they saw him as a judge. They saw him as the punisher of sin and, and as a God that was angry enough to make his people pay for every wrong deed, every evil thought, every harsh word, pay with blood, sweat, tears, and anguish. But, but Jesus tells Nick, let me reveal to you who God really is. He is the God that so deeply loves the world, so so deeply cares for people, sees them in their predicament, that he cannot remove himself from that. So he has surrendered generously his one, his only son, to pay the price for sin. The plan was has one and only one motivation, a love that could not stand on the sidelines and let other people suffer. A love that had to be involved no matter what it cost. A love that had to be rescuing people in trouble. It's a voluntary program. The the final decision, the final choice is left to the individual. You can believe the sacrifice was made for you and, and that it makes a difference in your story and you can be forgiven, you can be released from your sin and, and of its outcome, or you can choose not to believe. That's your choice. But love will always pursue you. Love will never give up. I, I have a concern There are colleagues of mine, friends of mine, that have stopped believing in the life and death consequences of this spiritual struggle. 
They believe that somehow, some way, God will work it out so that we all, every one of us, 100% of us, are going to get to heaven. So they don't believe that there's separation. They don't believe in a hell. They don't believe in eternal separation from God. They don't really concentrate on this vital phrase. They don't stay awake at night asking God for their person. They don't believe that there is a hell and a place of eternal separation. It's all going to work out. But I believe that Jesus spoke the truth and that he, didn't, that he didn't play with words. He didn't leave things that are important half undone so that we couldn't understand. When he says that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, that is fabulous news for me. It's fabulous news for anybody and everybody who's accepted him and believes in him and follows him because they've chosen to believe. However, the reverse is true too. If a person doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe who he is and what he's done, if that person doesn't receive the gift of God, receive Jesus Christ into their life, then they will perish. And they'll lose out on eternal life. And all of a sudden, this thing of having a person This thing of having a love that doesn't give up, that pursues and cares and invests, it means so much more. Call me old school. Call me prophet of doom and gloom. Call me whatever you want. But as a follower of Jesus, he makes it very clear to me, our eternal destiny is based on our decision. Either we believe or not believe in Jesus. What we do with Jesus determines whether we go with him or if we're found against him. I want you to know that that understanding dictates how I live my life. That that understanding dictates how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I look at people. If, if Oskar Schindler, the, the German industrialist, when he became aware of his nation and what his nation was doing to Jewish people, and he, he takes all that he has, he, he, he spends his life, his resources, attempting to save as many people as possible. My mission is no less crucial. My greatest joy and challenge comes in this next phrase. God didn't send his son to accuse me and remind me of all my evil doings. God did not send his son to me to judge and condemn me, but to be a savior that would rescue me. On a fairly regular and consistent basis, (laughs) I don't know what it is about me. I I just pull this out in people. And uh, on a fairly regular basis, consistent basis in my family, in my world, my work, people come and they tell me that I've disappointed them. I sort of feel like a poultice. Do you know what a poultice is? Okay, if you've got a a sliver and you can't get at it, you take some bread and you soak it in milk and then you put it on your hand and you put a, it sounds gross, but you put it on, put a tape on it and the poultice, the, 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 
moisture in the bread pulls the, pulls the sliver out. I, I'm a poultice. I, I pull the anger out of people. <laughs> it's pretty exciting ministry. But uh, people show up and they, and, and, and they tell me how I've disappointed them. They carry lists of ways that I've failed to live up to the expectations and the responsibilities that I've been given. They remind me of the, the cost of my failure, my insufficiency on their lives and on the lives of people that they don't care about. And then they lead me to think about what I, you just think about what I've said. It's a lot of fun. No, 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 no. It's not the people in my house. Although, honey, there has been occasion. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not my kids or my wife. <laughs> I like to go home. <laughs> At least I did before the service. I like to go home. <laughs> I'm glad you made that clear because now my kids will probably talk to me after the service, but it, it's sort of like being stuck on the fourth floor of a burning building and the hallway is full of smoke and, and flame and you can't go out the door and so you're standing by the window waiting for the fire department to come and to raise a ladder to the window to get me out before the flames get to me. And while I'm waiting there, a few people come by and they remind me why I'm in such a predicament. Now, Bill, if you had used your money more wisely and had saved it up and bought a house and lived on the main floor rather than in an apartment building on the fourth floor, or you wouldn't be in this predicament, or if you lived in, didn't live in the same building with people who smoke in bed, you would have been better off. But then Jesus comes. And he doesn't bring any of that up. He just raises the ladder to the window and says, I'm here because I love you and, and would not know what I would do without you, without you in my life. And, and, and I, I've come here to rescue. He didn't come to condemn me. He came to rescue me. Hmm. David, can you come to the keyboard? Everyone's on a journey. The journey involves encountering God. It can, it can be long. It can be difficult. The encounter can involve plenty of pain, plenty of confusion. It, it can bring us to questions that seem so difficult to answer. But there are two realities at work. One is an understanding that we don't have all the answers inside of ourselves. As, as much as we want to be independent and, and free of connection to others, we can't fix it all on our own. And secondly, there's this source that's greater than us at work, arranging us, arranging for us to bump into, to encounter Jesus in all sorts of ways throughout the journey. Holy Spirit is setting up encounters. Setting up appointments. The 
thing that I want you to understand is this, that no matter where you are on the journey, His love doesn't give up on you. It pursues you. But Pastor, you don't know how many times I've messed up. Love won't give up. doesn't matter if you, you double, triple, quadruple the number of times you failed. It never gives up. He, he doesn't show up with a, a bony finger poking into your, into your chest saying, you're, you're, the, you're the hardest person. You're the worst person. You're the biggest sinner. I, he doesn't do that. He shows up and he says, I love you. I'll never give up. No matter what you say, no matter how you act and react, no matter how far you run in the opposite direction, no matter how angrily you state that you do not believe, you do not trust God, His love, His concern for you never stops, never gives up, keeps popping up in the most unusual places and at the most inopportune moments. There was a young man who came into the church 28 years ago for help. We helped him, and when, when he got free of it, he disappeared. It's about 15 years. And I walked into a bookstore one time, and I looked down this aisle, and just the way the guy was standing, I thought, I know who that is. That's the guy we helped out several years ago. And there was something in my heart that said, I'm so excited to find him. I've wondered what's happened to him. And so I called him by name. And he didn't turn around, but he said, Oh my God, they found me here. <laughs> he'd felt so bad that he'd just disappeared and never said thank you. I said, I don't care about that. I just want to know how you are now. God keeps setting up run-ins, appointments in the most unusual places at the most inopportune moments. I love this verse in the way that the Passion, translate, tra the Passion Translation states it. it. It shows me the value that God puts on individuals and the investment that He's willing to make in you and in me. His love is a safe shelter for it never stops believing the best in Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. 